Hello, Callum speaking. Callum speaking, is it? It is indeed. How are you? Okay, well, Callum, I'm calling you on behalf of the APW podcast. And uh, I'm very oh, well, thank you. Wow. I've made it. Yes, indeed. I mean, we're not together, Callum and I, today because Callum has been away doing something. Where have you been, Cal? I have been uh, competing a Ironman triathlon. That's fantastic. Ironman triathlon. And how did you get on? Uh, yes, very well. It was, um, it was a long day at the office, I've got to say. Um, obviously, I've worked some long hours uh, in the office for APW, um, some longer than 14 hours and six minutes, but none of those 14 hour and six minute days quite, felt quite long as yesterday did. It was, um, it was good. So for those people that don't know, it's, um, which I'm not sure many people would because it's quite a uh, niche thing to do, I think. Um, that's a, it's a 3.8k swim. What's that in old money, Stu, do you know? A 3.8 would be, I think it's 1.6 to the mile. Or is it 1.8? A bit over two miles at least. Yeah, there we go. Um, 180k cycle, which I think is 112 miles, and then a, a marathon, which is 42 kilometers, 26 miles, I think. So um, so a long day. A long day and feeling feeling pretty sore and tired and hungry today. Well, well done. It's a achievement. I wish I had to my name, to be honest. It's certainly something that uh, anyone should be proud of. And um, it, it has its similarities in property, you know. Basically, the more hard work you put in beforehand, the more research you do means you can get a better outcome. So by putting the hard yards in, you manage to come out with a good outcome. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. And I was, I was thinking um, out there on the bike, yesterday for um, six and a half hours uh, I was thinking you know what what would be because it's been six months of training uh, and then obviously the long day yesterday and I was thinking well, what are the what are the biggest things that I've actually learned from the whole experience and what are the, the things that you can relate to and take away from it and, and put into use across not just your everyday life but within property and what we do as well and I think one of the biggest things was um, breaking things down and living within the specific moment or the specific task you're doing. So, for example, if you have a a 3,000-meter swimming training session, you know, that's broken down into lots of little sets, rather than looking at the whole 3,000 meters and thinking, wow, that's massive, you know, I'm never going to do that. You look at each individual set, right, I've got X amount of 200 meters to do, I can do that. And you focus on your one lot of 200 meters at the time, you do that. And then you look at the next step. And over time, doing that each day with your training sessions and then even doing it on race day, you know, you focus on your swim to start with. Then you look at your next job, which is your transition. You get into your bike, you get into the correct headspace for the bike and you attack each bit, bit by bit. And at the end of it, you've achieved this massive goal. Um, but you don't even realize it because it's bit by bit and very small and you don't get caught up in, in the enormity of the end goal. And I think, if, for example, if you're buying a property or you're planning and you want to build a portfolio, it, 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 it can be easy to look at the end of it and go, oh, wow, you know, how, how am I going to get to five properties 
managing all of that, getting mortgages, putting it together, doing research, when in actual fact, if you break it down into its individual pieces and you do it bit by bit, it's easy to manage and you can, you can build it up over time uh, in a manageable way, I think. So I think that would be one of my biggest takeaways is breaking things down into, into manageable chunks and attacking stuff that way. Right. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, if doing the triathlon was as boring as that explanation, then uh, <laughs> I think I'd fall asleep on the bike, to be honest. Something more exciting, okay? You, uh, go, well, you knew what? Sorry? You I knew, knew what? I knew what. Why I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try and give a serious response here. And um, I knew that's the, sort of, that's the sort of welcome it would get. So there you go. I'm sure there will be some people sort of find that interesting. I don't know who you are. If you're out there, thank you. If you are out there, then I'd suggest you find a better podcast to listen to because you've got too too much boredom in your life as it is. So anyway, here's some trivia for you. What was what was the Iron Man story? How did it start and where? Okay, um, I think I know this because I, I fancy myself as a bit of an Iron Man Nord now. You know, obviously, I've done one. I know everything about it. Um, wasn't it? I know it was in Hawaii because that's where they have the World Championships every year, and it's like a holy grail thing to try and get to for people. Which I would say is miles away from me. It's like people are doing it in, in eight hours versus my fourteen. But um, wasn't it a, a swimmer, a runner, and a biker? They all got together and they said, "Right, who's the fittest?" And they had a little competition. It was um, a man and his wife, Julian, uh, Julie, and John Collins, I think, who um, basically. Just sitting down one afternoon, they thought, I like doing a bit of cycling and I like that bit of doing running and it's nice going swimming, isn't it? So let's tie them all together. And let's start a competition. Everyone laughed at them um, in 78. But two years later, Wild World, of, Wild World of Sports filmed it and it took off and it was Hawaii. So those are the two bods behind it. Very exciting. Yeah. Not as exciting as the research I've done on the press this week. And there's a house in Wales, according to The Sun, for sale. It's one hundred and fifty thousand pounds, and it's seven feet wide. So, oh, that is how crazy! How crazy the market is at the moment. Seven foot wide houses are selling for one hundred and fifty thousand quid. There was another one in Cornwall, semi detached, very nice. Three hundred thousand pounds, two hundred ninety nine nine fifty, and it's got fake grass throughout the interior. It hasn't got any carpet at all. So there you go. Some weird stuff out there in the yeah, press. That doesn't surprise me. I think um, down there they are a little bit hippie-ish, I think. Um, reminds me of my, <laughs> totally off-piece, but my friend's parents who, um, after him and, and his sister had all gone through uni, they sold their house and um, bought some land to build a hobbit hole. Mm. And um, that was that was the mum's big retirement plan if she wanted to build a, is it a hobbit hutch i'm not sure but um did they live in yeah, it so, um i'm not sure it ever happened actually uh to be honest with you but that was that was the big retirement plan right. i think there's planning they wanted to do it in, in south wales so i think there's a bit of planning issues around it but um so uh why is that one in why is the the little house in south wales why is that so expensive is it in the city 
of no idea at all. It's called a Bijou Bolt Home, according to Right Move. It's got a kitchen, diner, a bedroom, a bathroom, but it's got a parking space at the front, so perhaps it is somewhere exotic that's important to have a parking space. But going back to the, the Hobbit hole, I mean, that's all about proper planning prevents poor performance. Is you need to do your research in advance. And the Hobbit Hole's an example, or my sister, in fact, is an example. She um, retired from the police and went up to um, Scotland to buy herself a couple of places to rent out. She ended up buying a couple of bothies. And as you well know, a bothy is a house with a grass roof. So she was trying to get a mortgage on the property to put a, a, a roof on, a grass roof, a new one. And the bank wouldn't do it because, bizarrely enough, they didn't see turf as that sounder investment or their hard-earned money. Wow. There you go, then. So do your research. I think that is true. That would be <laughs> another lesson from the triathlon yesterday was do your research because I did admittedly go the wrong way on the bike course for a little while, which resulted in... 20 kilometers the wrong way and then having to rejoin from the start and um, then do the course as well as, as as well as the 20 and that all came down to not really researching the course properly and um, not taking ownership to um, to make sure I knew where I was going and doing the research so again another example what is it the five p's or the six p's well, the five are the polite ones and the six we, six P's are the one with the extra bit thrown in. But you're right, and, and that's really what we were talking about on the, on the um, APW market wrap last week. It was all about, you know, it's not too late. We haven't all missed the boat as far as buying because the market is still going up and it's potential, although I do say, you know, we don't know if we are in year two of a, a bull run according to the 18-year market cycle. It could be that we're actually year two of a, a bull run and it's going to crash around our ears because we've never had you know, a black swan event, which I'm sure you know the derivation of, so I won't go into it. We haven't had a black swan event like uh, COVID yeah. before. Yeah. Was you know, it, weren't they calling it, when it first started, wasn't it a elephant horn, uh, a, a rhino horn event or something like that? Because it was... It was it was something that we should have seen coming over the horizon, but didn't. Well, I mean, there's been so many of them over the years. I mean, SARS, you know, was a was a big one. They had the H one and N one, isn't it? Bird flu. So it's been a. It's always out there, and it's going to stay with us forever. So there's no point, you know, now thinking when will it get back to normal? It won't get back to normal. This is the new normal that we're living now, and we have to embrace that. But having said that, yeah. you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, it'll never be the same as in cities. And that's just not true. You know, over the last two months, there's been more demand in the city of London for commercial property than there has at any stage over the last 10 years. Okay. Albeit London has got the, is market leader in environmentally friendly offices. And that's what people want nowadays. They don't want common or garden offices. So, but it's still a huge amount of uh, growth and people are moving back into the cities and they are renting and buying back in the cities. We've seen that ourselves. There will always be people who want to live, live out of it, but in the main, yeah. they will want to you know, live back where they were before because anyone who's under 35, I guess, is probably going to be 
fairly singlish and want to have a fairly rapid lifestyle. And you're not going to get, get that living in Whitby or living in Bridge End. You know, you're going to get it by living in cities where they have all the sort of it's stuff you want. fish and chip shops. Well, fish and chip shops are perfect. The, the fish and chip shop in Whitby is the magpie. And as it's well renowned <laughs> for being the best fish and chip shop in the world. Yes, well, yeah, I got it. I, <laughs> I got an email from Wales online over the weekend. It's five best fish and chip shops in Wales, and believe it or not, the one we were talking about last week was not in there, despite what they say in the stickers on their doorway. So, um, which one was that? Who does the judging? Um, it's the one in the in the the big housing estate in Broadlands, Finnegan's Fish and Chip Shop. No, the best chipper in Wales has got to be in that little alleyway down in the centre of Cardiff where you can get curry and chips and sit on the floor outside after a sack full of beer. Yeah, Chippy, chippy Alley. Mm, by far the best. Yeah. That's uh, it. Uh, but, um, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, on going back to that point on yours about, uh, you know, listening to the, to the rap on Friday, um, I wanted to ask you about the Aladdin thing and the wishy-washy thing, but maybe we come back to that. Um, it was just on the boom, you know. I think, wh- where are we? Is it going to drop now? Is it going to keep going up? Who knows? But I think in the boom time, people get caught up in chasing that the, the most rapid price growth. And I think, actually, personally, when I look at property, I don't really even consider the, the price growth. You know, what I'm looking for is income. Uh, the income that the property is going to generate for me, and is the income going to pay off the mortgage? You know, because if you're holding it long term, that's that's what really matters. So I, I did some quick sums that I'd like to share with you, and uh, hopefully people listening might take some value from them. So if you take out uh, if you take out capital appreciation and and you know the, the growth in prices that goes on in a boom, if you're just putting down thirty percent on a property, thirty percent deposit, and then you're getting a tenant in there. Who's paying that off for you? Um, so say you've, you've got a, a hundred thousand pound property, you've got a 30, 30k, thirty percent deposit down, and you get a six percent yield on that. Uh, what is your actual return on money? Do you know, Stuart? I haven't the foggiest. Please do tell. Twenty percent. You're getting six percent, six thousand pound return, and you put down. £30,000, so you, your real return on investment, obviously without cost or whatever, bring that down a bit, but your initial gross yield or gross return is 20%, and that's without any capital appreciation. Um, so, you know, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is you take the capital appreciation out and you just look at places to buy for, for income, for steady income, and, and if we have a crash, People still need places to live, and people will still be renting properties. So that's part of the property market, and and the return that you can rely on is that steady income. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't re- don't get caught up in in the boom stuff. You know, just still look at the basics and look at the fundamental ways that the property is going to make you money, and that's income from tenants. And if you use a mortgage, you use leverage. It's still a, a massive real return versus other investments. No, I think you're right there. It's uh, you shouldn't be looking at capital appreciation. You know, that's a new thing. Really, it's a case of how soon will it be that my mortgage is paid off, and if you can get a good yielding tenant, and you get a, I mean, there are mortgages out there that you can get at about three percent, three point two, three 
3.3. If you get that and there are too many costs, then it will pay your mortgage off. And that's what it's all about is waking up in 15 years' time, 16 years, and finding you've got a, a property that you bought for £130,000 that's actually paid off. And it's £130,000 when you skyrocket. And that is the yeah. key, really. I think this capital yeah. appreciation is, is a thing that was around when I was young. Okay, that was after cart horses. I'll just point out before you say it, Cal. Yeah. And um, Thank you. it was a case of, that was fantastic, but then there's a lot of the time where it didn't go up at all. It's just a case of looking for places that are going to do well. And as I bang on no end about the Midlands, the distribution centre for the UK, then that is the place where the property is really going well. Unless you've got special reasons for a place to, to grow up. And I said this about Cambridge, with the um, med tech boom going on. But there are other things we can think of. I was doing a bit of reading today on the new free ports that have been granted in the UK. And they're East Midlands, Felixstowe, Harwich, the Humber, uh, Plymouth, Solent, the Thames Valley, Teesside. And they're all getting special stamp duty relief, enhanced structures and building allowances enhanced capital allowances, insurance contributions that are lower than other people, but topped up by the government, and so on and so forth. So these are good areas for people to go and work and set up businesses. And those people who are working in those areas are going to need somewhere to live. So again, that's not a bad thing to think of. And it does give you a reason for voting for Liverpool City, because although personally I don't think it's a great place to buy, uh, it may well be. I could be mistaken on that. But again, East Midlands, Midlands Airport, great place to buy. So look at other reasons as to why you should be buying as opposed to just go where the herd is going, which is the north, northwest, those areas. Yeah. Yeah, and there's heaps of reasons, I think, you know, within within locations, um, that will cause the market to go up as well. Like you know, just to reiterate what you're saying is, you know, if you if you can do your research and find find out about those places, for example, then then again, you know, long term you're going to do well. The Freeports thing is interesting though. I saw that the other day, and, and um, was trying to sort of think about what impact that would have on prices in those locations, and I can only see it being a, a positive thing. Um, you know, I'm pushing up prices, as you say, because it's going to attract businesses, which is going to attract people, which means people need places to live. So I think that is a, and that's a very valid reason, isn't it? Because it's a government-backed initiative and it's, weren't free ports around back in the day? You know, you might know that. Wasn't it a thing? Didn't we used to have some? Well, yeah, we, and, we used to call them development zones. And for example, Whitby was a development zone for a while and lots of, New manufacturing industries went over there to to build factories and employ people. And then, unfortunately, it was very poorly funded. So as soon as the government ran out of cash and they stopped funding them, all the companies left and it left even more employment than it had before. So hopefully these will be good plans of attack and they'll be well supported. And it's not just you know the right hand saying, look what we're doing, aren't we great? And then as soon as the spotlight goes off them, they um, stop spending the money, which is what tends to happen with government solutions, because it's all about winning votes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the the, the current ones look um, 
look like pretty solid solid plans from what I can see as part of the whole redistribution of um, wealth and skills yep. and throughout the UK. But to talk about something exciting though, Dave Webster last week at the 79th webinar. Oh, what a lovely man. Wow. Isn't, isn't he just, he oh. is a very, very lovely man, passionate, lovely man and good at what he does. Yeah, indeed. And, it, and, you know, makes our clients good money, which is excellent. It brings on to the next thing in just two weeks time. In fact, even less in just 10 days time. Uh, what have we got sorry, coming we're up? going into the, we're going into the what's new section of the podcast. Well, I'm what's so, coming up. So. Yes, we are. Yes. Would you like to take that away? Because we've got to be quick now. Otherwise, we're going to be using too much time up. Yes, um, we have got the um, prosperity, uh, prosperity property, prosperity development catch up with none other than Joe Billingham, the CEO, chairman, uh, and director of Prosperity, um, discussing their current development updates, including their Cambridge site, their Nottingham site, uh, and then looking at uh, a couple of things such as why buying those locations and what they're doing to um, to help make their clients money as well. So, um, so that's quite exciting. And it'll be excellent because it's always good to hear from a property professional who's as long, long in the business as Joe has. But as we know, he didn't start off as a property professional. What did he start off as, Callum? Yeah, come on, I know this. He used to make sandwiches. He had his own sandwich van that he used to drive around the centre of Birmingham, which is you know a a hard-working entrepreneur. And it's really a lot of similarities, actually, to Dave Webster. I mean, he started off on his dad's market stall, you know, and he got out of school at 14 to go and uh, work on it, or his dad got him out of school. So, I mean, it's very similar. It's entrepreneurial, and, you know, this is what property is about. It's about finding a company you can trust, you work with, and they will make money at the same time as helping you make money. And that's what it's all about, you know. At APW, we're not here because we're a charity. We're here to make money. But at the same time, I think that's acceptable as long as our clients do it as well. And that is the way good business works, with one eye, of course, on being politically correct and socially correct and environmentally correct. Thank you for that last one. Thank you. Great. Thanks for that. I think um, I think you're right, though. The two, there's very there are similarities between those two, and I think that yeah, maybe that if if anyone would like to listen to that chat with Dave Webster, then let us know, and we can send you the link. But he obviously talks about his business a lot, but he talks quite a bit as well for those who may be interested in this sort of thing about you know what's made him successful in business and the things that he tries to focus on to keep being successful. Um, and it's a good insight. You know, he said, I'm going to try to deliver. He says, he Callum, Callum, mate, you know, I don't have a nine to five job. I have an eyes open to eyes closed job, which basically means he's always working. And um, anyway, I suppose the point is that there are similarities between them and they, do, they both have very good work ethics to, you know, make their businesses successful and help people, as you say, make money with those businesses. So both very interesting guys. Have a listen to the Dave Webster one if you want, guys. Make sure you tune into the Prosperity one as well, because that will be very interesting. Um, and as you say, always interesting to hear of someone as um, as experienced as Joe. 
Very much so. So I've got to say, I think so far, this is probably one of our most boring podcasts. So thank you very much if you have listened to it and hopefully heard all the way through. As far as Dave Webster, does that mean if he closes his eyes when he's at his desk, he's actually not working anymore? Because you'd have to lie down, little doze and work at the street. Anyway, there we go. Well, if I have eyes open, so eyes closed, job. I'm not really sure you'd have to ask him. Uh, sorry. But, you know, I think if that is one of our most boring podcasts, we've done a good job because we've only got two. So, um, so we've really set the bar high there. So the only way is up, as I say. Indeed. So anyway, it's goodbye from me over here. Wishy-washy at his best. And it's, it's goodbye from me over here, the Iron Man with a black toe. So thanks, thanks for talking, Stuart. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. Cheerio. Cheers.